Good everyone, welcome to that NICU Mum A podcast where we share the stories of New Zealand parents who have had a baby in a neonatal unit across the country. My name's Shan and I am your host. Uh, today we are speaking with Sarah. You may know her from Instagram at For the Lover Boys. She's got obviously four boys. <laughs> She's got two singletons and twins. Uh, and she ended up having quite a scary birth with her with her twins and um she was very lucky that she advocated for herself and for her babies and made sure that people took her seriously because it could have gone the other way um she is quite vocal about spreading awareness for NICU and NICU stays or neonatal stays um on her social media and just as a person and she's also very uh passionate about maternal mental health and mental health in general um which is super important and I love that she is a really big advocate for that because we need more people to be advocates especially for maternal mental health the um system in this country is horrendous but yeah I'll let her give you all the details she had um three quite different births and pregnancy experiences so yes I will let her get into it enjoy all right, are you um, ready to just jump in? Yeah, let's go. Okay, sweet. Do you just want to start from the beginning, introducing yourself and um your family, and yeah, start from Finn's your eldest, day, not Leo. Finn's my oldest, so I have four boys. So Finn is eleven, and then Leo is seven, and the twins are who are my nephew babies are three, three and a half now. Mm. yeah going so fast I know mine are four in March and I'm like we're gonna have to start thinking about like enrolling them in school I know chance said that my husband oh my goodness like soon they're gonna be in we're gonna have all our kids in school and I'm like that just feels so so we I've been a mum for so long and I think it's just always had kids at home because of our age gap too so I think it's just felt like a really long time of always having kids around. So I think that will really hit hard when they're off, like all gone to school, you know. They're like um, major empty nest syndrome. Yeah, already. Like at this age, you know, at this age. But yeah, anyway, I'll make the most of what I've got before they go off. Yes. Um, so your eldest is Finn. Do you want to start off telling us about your pregnancy with him and his birth? Yes. So, um, so I was 23 when I had Finn, so I was quite young, um, and he wasn't a planned, planned president, uh, pregnancy. I like to say it wasn't an accident. It was just a surprise. (laughs) That was our Um, twins. Yeah. It's not that he, he wasn't wanted. It was just that it obviously wasn't a plan. You know, I wasn't planning to have a baby that young, but, um, Pregnancy with him was really straightforward at the beginning, but up until 30-ish weeks, I started um, getting really itchy feet. Mm -hmm. And uh, we spoke about this, but basically um, I went into hospital because I was up in the night just scratching my feet like horrendously. And I was like, what is going on? And the hospital was like, oh, it's probably just dermatitis. And I had been Googling, of course, as a the journalist I was, I researched everything. And um, Dr. Google had told me that there was something called cholestasis, which is a 
basically in pregnancy with your liver and it wasn't it wasn't well known about at that time at all um basically where your liver just kind of is starting to give up towards the end of pregnancy and it won't create your it won't like your bile so, your bile salts don't flow properly mm-hmm. good thing to mention here in case anyone you know comes across it anyway but um it, I asked them to do that test and they said they basically obliged like it because I was asking them they weren't going to and it came back positive um, and what it means for your pregnancy is that you have to be induced early so you can't go past 37 38 weeks because the risk of stillbirth becomes really high yeah. or a lot higher than an average pregnancy yeah. um, because yeah there's something to do with the you know the, your liver and the, the flow of your bile salts and everything affecting the baby so if I hadn't have known about it and this has happened multiple times in my life and in my pregnancies mm. where I've had to advocate for myself yeah for the correct outcome because they would have dismissed it happened with the twins as well mm. um so yeah up until then it was fine then we he was induced at 30 uh, 37 weeks he was um a vaginal delivery it was very um straightforward he did he did get stuck on the way out and his heart rate started to drop so I had to really like start to push or they were going to rush me for an emergency c-section but um yeah got him out he did have a little bit of um trouble at the beginning just they just kind of had to give him a little bit of help um his APGAR score I think was quite low when he first came out but then it went up high once they kind of I still don't actually know if they did need to give him oxygen or anything but um yeah he was on my chest pretty soon and it was you know it was pretty I was pretty lucky Mm. I was induced though um and then the same thing happened with Leo but I knew obviously knew about it um this time around because it has a really high chance of recurring in every pregnancy thereafter yeah um so yeah I got it with him around the same time I think a little bit later with him and induced again at 37 weeks as well and he was he was a really full-on labor but um yeah he was straight on my chest so those two like I can't apart from being induced which is horrible in terms of the pain your body you know not releasing that natural pain relief yeah it was excruciating painful experience but in terms of them being fine and okay um yeah it was it was great and yeah and then my whole that I think that almost when my whole world was flipped upside down with the twins birth I'd been through two normal births and so that was like a real shock I mean the same way it is when you have your you know your first well different but when you have your first like you guys you had your first babies and straight into NICU and that's your whole new experience you're just like what the that on the opposite end of the scale for me, it was, this isn't how it's supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. Um, and everything I knew had, was kind of flipped. And then I didn't really know. Yeah, it was like, obviously, it, it, for any new mum or any mum in general in Nippa, it's just a whole new world and you have no idea what, what's I happened. I feel like when it's your, like, not your first baby, like your second or your third or your subsequent babies, you, you it's harder because you know what you're missing yeah exactly I had no idea you know I'd never just taken a baby straight home or had a baby put straight on my chest but you had that you knew what you were missing out on like that bonding time and yeah and that's what I really struggled with um 
when I went down to Niku to see them for the first time and you know they were like you can't you can't hold them mm. and when I had my c-section they were like walking them past and you know I could just put my hand into the incubator I was like it just it felt like a it felt like an out-of-body experience really which is a lot of what Niku does feel like I feel yeah you just feel kind of out of your own body and watching your life move by mm. weird yeah different uh, zone how was your pregnancy with them up until it turned shit basically um yeah <laughs> so again, again it was I was really sick um obviously having two in there I was really really so I found out really early because um my period my period didn't come you know and my my periods were pretty sh- uh on time so I knew once I didn't get my period that I was yeah I was like so, okay I'm pregnant mm. test was kind of like positive in like seconds and <laughs> still you know it's so interesting so I look back on all these little things I'm like I still never thought it was twins so <laughs> I was yeah I was so sick super positive pregnancy you know really early detection still had no idea um and yeah, so I was really, really sick for like maybe up until 12 weeks. And then um, it was, it was honestly straightforward. You know, the twins were growing well. One was all, a little bit smaller, which is kind of so common in twin pregnancies. You know, there's always one that suffers a little bit more in terms of growth, but otherwise they were growing fine. And I just thought it was going to be the same as the older two, you know, get cholestasis again and would be induced. Um, I I actually had no understanding of like t- prematurity mm. at that time. I hadn't even really looked into it because I just didn't. Because when you haven't been through it, you just kind of don't ex- expect to go through it. Yeah, like no when, one we, t- when we're told you're going to have your babies early, it's like thirty six weeks, right? Yeah, like you're not yeah, going to go 30, past thirty seven, thirty eight weeks, and you're like, okay, so that's right. Or even, you know, even 35 weeks. But I just had no idea. I knew twins would probably come, like, a little bit earlier for sure because they wouldn't, you know, they'd struggle to fit in there. But I was like, I didn't even think of prematurity at all until I ended up in hospital. So it was 23. I was 23 weeks, and um, I woke up in the middle of the night. I just had this really bad urge to pee, and I ran to the toilet, and then I was bleeding, and I was like, you know, because I'd had um, – a little bit of spotting throughout the pregnancy and I was like this is this is normal and they reassured me you know that's normal and which it can happen for so many people I mean so many people I found out later can just bleed throughout their whole pregnancy yeah. um but anyway I just I rushed into hospital that was like about 5 a.m because I was like you know it was it was more than more than spotting um and that was basically when my our whole world turned upside down because I just thought they were going to check me and be like oh yeah it's just a little bit of spotting mm. and I, I went and prepared for that and to be sent home mm. so I was I was just I didn't even think of them coming I didn't even think of anything else I didn't and um maybe that's just my positive naivety but then they checked me and she goes oh one you're leaking amniotic fluid and I said what does that mean and she said that means one of one of the twin sacs is is leaking yeah. or is broken or yeah, has DCA, a hole in DCDA twins yeah yeah um and she goes I'm really sorry to tell you but there's a real chance that they will come 
you could go into labor mm. and then of course my whole body just went into shock and I called chance and I was bawling you know and I said and you know it's so interesting because all about six doctors walk in when they're telling you this and then you know Niku the Niku um you know those head and Niku I can't think of what they're called consultants they start coming into the room and they're talking to you about you know your odds of survival and chance had arrived by that time and we were just sitting there like we just couldn't believe it um and they always pile all the information on you and you're like I can't I'm not even like I'm just stuck on the fact that there's leaking fluid never mind that's right that you're telling me that's right you know that's exactly right I was in there thinking I thought like I'm I'm still processing thinking that I was going home after this like I have you know, I haven't even thought about this outcome and then, or allowed it to just sink in. And they're all like, and these are your chance of, and I know they, I know doctors need to be like straight up with you, Yeah. but I'm like, give me a, give me a second, you know? And um, like they're your babies. They're not just. Yeah. They're not just, you know, another number for them to get through on their worksheet. It was a whole, like a massive life change for us in that moment. And, um, yeah, so they said one's leaking and um, we need to keep, basically they kept me in for a week um, and that was during COVID, which I'm sure you were in, were you in during that time too? Yeah, yeah. Um, the twins were born the Sunday and then lockdown was announced on the Monday and then we went into lockdown on the Wednesday, so like literally yeah. from the beginning. So horrible. Awful. Um, so we were already in lockdown when we went in and so the the kids so basically I left at 5 a.m in the morning and my two boys who have you know barely been apart from mum weren't allowed to see me for a week and just knew that I was in hospital because they weren't allowed to visit because of COVID restrictions yeah um so that was hard too because I was like I can't even explain you know I could obviously FaceTime them but I'm like their mum's just up and gone yeah it's not like they got to explain it to them like mum's gotta go yeah yeah, and they're thinking, you know, our, our little baby brothers, you know, they don't know anything else except that they, you know, mum's just trying to keep them safe. And then, yeah, from there it was, um, oh, what was what's the next question? I'm probably just going to lead into a whole story. And yeah, keep going. <laughs> Go for it. Um, and then from, yeah, from there I was, was kind of week in and week out for five weeks. So they would, like, release me once the bleeding kind of subsided and I'd go home on bed rest, I was strictly on bed rest. Mm -hmm. And then I would come, then I would end up bleeding again some more and I would end up back in hospital and they'd be monitoring me again. And it was constant ultrasounds and checking that baby was growing and his fluid was, um, it was stable throughout that time. So I was, because you replenish fluid when you lose it. So, which I didn't know um and then his was yeah his was kind of stable it was low but it was stable so they were happy with it mm-hmm. um and he was he was small but he was growing um and then we got to 28 weeks and I was in hospital and I just thought you know they were like talking about me because I was every time I was in there I thought like, I want to go back home like I'd rather at least be with my family to bed rest yeah and um you know I'd be pushing for it and they said well we're going to discharge you and I said can you just check because this time I've been bleeding a lot more than normal and 
and I said, I think you should just check to make sure that, you know, everything's fine. And they said, oh, because they don't want to check you because of risk of infection. Um, but I just, I didn't feel anything. It was more so, I, it was just my intuition and also the, the fact that there was more bleeding. I was like, I'd just like you to check. And then the doctor, um, she put, I just remember just her face. She went down to check and I just remember her face coming up and she was just, it just felt like she turned to a ghost and her whole face had changed because, you know, she was coming in with good news. Oh, yeah, you're going to be discharged. And then all of a sudden her face changed and she goes, all she said was, there's a foot in your cervix. Um, We're going to have to deliver your babies now. And that, like, that was literally it. And then everyone... I just, you know, when you go into shock, you feel like there's this like ring that goes round you. I just felt like there's this ring that went round my body, and I couldn't. We're in slow motion, and everyone else is like, yes, yes, it is. Yeah, and like people were rushing in. I was getting things jabbed in my hand. You know, I couldn't even feel it because I was just in shock. Mm. Um, people were telling me they're calling my husband. You know. And I was just kind of like looking around like so dazed, obviously like emotional, like crying, but also just like, what well, I don't feel like, I didn't feel like I was in my own body. I didn't at that stage. Um, and then they rushed me down to, it was really fast because I haven't had a C-section before. That was my first one. And within that, like within half an hour, I was prepped and on that table with the spinal ready to go. And then Chance arrived just in time, my midwife, arrived just in time um and yeah they were operating within the hour yeah. um to get them out um so was it Freddie or Charlie's foot so it was Charlie Charlie was the foot in the the amniotic leak so he was the one that had everything basically mm. up until Nicku uh until they arrived um so he came out bru- he had a bruised foot the thing is, if they had, um, if I got sent home, it would have been, it could have been very, very bad because I did hear a story. Um, actually, I might not share that because it might be a bit too much for other people. Anyway, it could have been very bad. Um, but yeah, so his foot was bruised. Um, he wasn't breathing. He was, yeah, quite like very like just very bruised and did not look good. Mm. Um, and so he was rushed off to resuscitation immediately. Freddie came out. Freddie was still in his sack, which was really cool to see the video of. Um, and they popped his sack and then he came out crying. And yeah, he was obviously still needing oxygen because he was tiny, but he was in a much better condition than Charlie. Um, so... Yeah, I just remember hearing Freddie's cry and just bawling because I hadn't heard Charlie's first. And, you know, they you know, they packaged them up in those plastic bags and then they rushed them off. Oh, I don't because how many weeks were your boys? 32, so we didn't get the plastic. Oh, I didn't get So it must be like a cutoff. I think it's there must 31. be a cutoff. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they did the plastic bags and they just rushed them off like little roast chickens. And then they're all, it's terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know what, why they do it. They keep them, like, warm and stuff. Yeah. But I was like, that's so weird. And then, yeah, they rushed them off to the table and in, in these little plastic bags. And then, yeah, they went through all their 
How did you all decide who was Freddie and who was Charlie? So Charlie was always, so they were always labelled in utero. So um, Charlie, I think, was the more full-on one in utero, which is very similar to who he is today. <laughs> um, the more active, more full-on one. Yeah. And Freddie was, Freddie was the bigger one, um, which is, I think he's taller now. He's slightly taller. For ages, he wasn't. For ages, he was the smaller one. Um, so, yeah, we just kind of labelled and we just stuck to those labels. Um, I remember and they we, suit- had, we had Bo and Luca and we had a 3D scan and we could only see Bo because Luca's face was like smushed on the back of Bo's head. And I remember like looking at this 3D scan and just being like, that looks more like a Bo than a Luca. Yeah. And it just yeah. stuck with me. And I remember we had them. And I said to Jordan, I was like, you make sure that baby B is Bo. And that's not. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, just stuck in my mind. Yeah. And they do, you know, you do, you do like to see, and I do believe like seeing kids and seeing their names, they have to fit. Yeah. Um, And, you know, like people can change their minds. Like that's, you can do whatever you want. Mm. Um, When they came out, we, yeah, we just, I mean, looking at them now, I'm like, yes, that's, fine when they came out I probably to be honest they just they look like little tiny aliens yeah, so yeah. I couldn't really see if they suited their names at that stage yeah. but um yeah we'd name them from utero and their personalities definitely was what we'd kind of tied to their names yeah. as well because Freddie's named their personality as well eh? and like into yeah well Freddie's named after Freddie Mercury from Queen because Chance loves um Freddie Mercury and yeah, he's just that more chill, like expressive, but more chill. And Charlie's just what? Just he's on another Sorry. level. <laughs> and you know, I, I often because it's 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 hard to deal with at times when you've got like a toddler, you know, like a preschooler like that who's quite full on. But then I think of his way into the world, and I'm like, oh, you know, I can deal with it. Yeah, perspective. <laughs> yes, that's right. Especially in with what's going on today perspective is yes I can't start talking about that because I'll never stop no me too and this is not the place but um (laughs) yeah it's very 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 upsetting yes right back let's get back on track before (laughs) I get upset um (laughs) so how was it when you got to go and see them in the NICU um so I saw them so I I was coming down off my drugs um and that took me a little while because I was vomiting like a lot yeah. from the the drugs so probably like four-ish hours I would say which isn't bad and um but I was really sick so they they wheeled me down and I could literally only stay in there for like half an hour before I was vomiting again yeah. um so they wheeled me back upstairs for to rest and rest to get rid of the you know drugs out of my system because I was really reactive to those um whatever they use for you know your anesthesia and your spinal and st- I don't know all of that combination because I hadn't had a previous birth so I just re- yeah I reacted quite badly to vomiting and um yeah so then I went overnight and got got to we was straight down there the next morning and got to hold them both before Charlie had his hemorrhage and then I wasn't able to hold him for a, for a week after that so I was really thankful that I 
managed to get in that hold that day yeah because yeah I wasn't able to hold him again um so two two nights in so it's not even 48 hours and I was so what about my second night I was sleeping and and this is what's kind of started off my PTSD with NICU um is I was awoken at 2 a.m. and I was in a really deep sleep because obviously I had needed it coming off all the drugs and, you know, all that, all the adrenaline and everything that you go through. Um, so I was in a really deep sleep and it was like 2 a.m. and I just heard a knock, kind of a knock through my sleep. And then I heard a, are you Sarah, are you Charlie's mom? And I just leapt, leapt out of bed and, um, I said, I get emotional every time I think of this, but I said, yeah, you know, I obviously flipped and I said, there's something, has something happened? And they said, he's okay, but he he's okay, but he's, you know, he's had a very big event. And so he had a pulmonary hemorrhage on his lung. So basically bleeding. Like, a, well, we know what a hemorrhage is and yeah. on a lung. Um, and so I, you know, I asked them to take me down there. They wheelchaired me down and they, there was so many consultants around his incubator. Um, you could tell they were like on adrenaline because they were trying to save his life because it's a really high mortality rate, pulmonary hemorrhage, especially in neonatal infants. Um, and I could tell that they had, you know, they had just come down off there because they'd finally got him stable, obviously. And then one guy, he was the the consultant who had basically saved him. He came over and he sat with me and he was like explaining what had happened to me. And honestly, I didn't know. I just wanted to know that he was all right. I didn't know what he was saying. Yeah, I knew yeah. that he was saying technical language and um, all I cared about was that he was, you know, all right as a mother. I didn't, I didn't know the technical technicality of what had happened. Um, but yeah, he was put on a ventilator and yeah, he was, he wasn't able to, to be moved for seven days after that. So that was his massive event. Um, which is why he's still a croup baby now. Like Mm -hmm. he still has his lung issues. Um, so much. still just every year he ends up in hospital with croup he did twice this year Mm. um in an ambulance so it comes on really hard and fast for him um and his oxygen drops and that's 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 honestly the only time we see it with his lungs is he's just more prone to colds and stuff so we're you know we're very lucky prior Um, to their birth had you had the steroids when you were in the hospital yeah, I got the steroids twice. Yeah, which I assume would have really helped. Yeah. Um. And look, he he makes a quick recovery. It's just yeah, how quickly it comes on. He can in- instantly go downhill. You think it's like but very... on a little body? Like he's only three, you know. Yeah. His body. Yeah. Gonna... So. Yeah, and after his like his entry into the world and that happening to his lungs, you know, you can only expect. expect them to struggle a bit when there's um you know cough cough colds and yeah croup going around um so but he's yeah he's a little trooper and then freddie um so freddie kind of 
you know, when I when I first heard about Niku, everyone told me, oh, they just feed and grow in there. They'll be all right. And that wasn't our experience at all. Um, but at the beginning, Freddie did really just feed and feed and grow. He was he was he was fine. He was um, he was little. I think he was he was littler and then oh no he was bigger sorry he was bigger when he was born um than Charlie now he's like a little bit littler but um yeah he just been he was really healthy looking until he hit four weeks and he got sepsis which is obviously another very serious um disease I don't would you call it a disease I guess so it's a blood infection um very it can be very common in in Niku because you're touching them and heaps people are touching them and it can be on your skin Mm. um but yeah again a very high like mortality rate I just remember him he like puffed up to a huge because he was so little Mm. he puffed up massively from fluid um he was put on a ventilator again just to help because he was exhausted trying to fight off this infection they were doing lumbar punctures um you know again I wasn't able to hold him for a week as he recovered um so they both went through massive life-threatening things so you know our experience was not a feeding and growing it was a roller coaster um then we finally got them we got them better, both better. And, you know, we started that transition from ICU to cot to into the next room. And then they caught a, like a, it must've just been a cold virus, but obviously when, so they went from going to their cots and us making that next milestone to then going back into incubators mm. because it caught this virus. Um, Sucks that so it was definitely virus, like in the midst of COVID because they were being obviously so careful with this, yeah. and this bloody little cold virus slips in, which is so dangerous. I know. And that's the thing, you know, with COVID, we didn't know, like, there was COVID in neonatal units, you know, and around the world. And yeah. we were obviously fearful of that too because no one knew what it was at the beginning. And that was the beginning. And no one knew how to how they were going to fight it off, you know. Did you um, have any COVID in the unit when you were there? No, not that it was reported. No, thankfully. I think um, it had one suspected case, but it ended up not being COVID like Yeah. Yeah, that would have been scary. I mean, knowing it knowing it now, I probably wouldn't have been as fearful. But no. it, it, having a having a neo having a NICU baby, regardless, you don't want anything around because they are just so much, you know, they're so vulnerable. Um but yeah, I remember it being a really big fear there because obviously they were tiny. No one knew. No one really knew what what was what it was yet. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that was and yeah. Then we we got out at ten ten weeks, seventy two days. We spent um and we finally got out at ten have, weeks. Did they have any other like issues after the colds? Or was it just from there? Was it just your no? Fella? So thankfully, they were like the major, the major things that they had. The rest were just kind of, yeah, like feeding issues, getting them used to um, breastfeeding, yeah. 
we did both bottle we did bottle and breast just before they left to make sure that they were okay with both because I knew having twins I was like I'm mm. I don't know how I'm gonna be able to breastfeed both mm. um and yeah so that was just kind of prolonged like the last kind of week or so I did find out um in the notes at the end that Freddie had had an umbilical bleed that I was never told about and I was really pissed off because yeah I just wasn't told about it and I wasn't able to ask questions at the time about why it happened yeah. um someone had put an umbilical line in incorrectly and he was they'd found him in like a pool of blood Jesus. and they had quickly fixed like fixed the line but he they basically like yeah obviously got it in the wrong spot and he had like started hemorrhaging yeah um and I didn't know that until I read his notes after discharge. And so I was really like angry about that. Cause I was like, that's not something that you just sweep under the rug. Yeah. That's something a parent it's needs to know about. And they fixed it. You still have to be told. Yeah. And I want to, and I'd want to know what, what happened, you know, like obviously it's a fault and everyone makes mistakes, but we need like, you know, if that had been a disastrous mistake yeah. and no one had told me. um, So I was mad about that. And I did ask about, it, I think when I first, saw my pediatrician after that um or the NICU consultant but yeah she just I think she just said well she because she wasn't there obviously she just said well you know just it it, it was obviously put in incorrectly and someone hadn't noticed Mm. and I I, you know I don't I'm not here to you know attack any of the staff because they kept our babies alive and Mm. you know there were so many wonderful nurses and doctors in there but there's always some who let down the rest, yeah. you know. You shouldn't be expected to get along with everyone either. Like, we don't get along with everyone in general, do we? No, no. And you're always going to have different... And when it's your child, I think you're a lot more fierce yeah. than you would be in a general situation. When you're advocating for your child, you don't really... Um, there's this level of, you know, I can't, I can't think... I can't explain it, but if you mess with my child you know you're messing with me yeah. and I think yeah you've got to stand up and advocate and I've spoken to so many NICU mums obviously through Instagram and and everything since then um and I'm like don't be fearful to speak up because a lot of them are you know they won't they won't speak up and I said that's your child at the end of the day I said not everyone knows everything and everyone makes mistakes and so if you feel something isn't right just tell them and they used to argue I remember the consultants would argue like in front of me like because they were debating about their care which is good I guess they have to bounce off each other right but it was just so interesting because I was like you know they were just arguing like no this is the right way and I'm like geez at the end of the day like that's still human beings they don't necessarily you know they're not miracle workers I mean they are but equally they have to kind of trial things and see and we just have to put our hope and trust into them that they can, you know, and yeah, we were the, we were lucky because we saw a lot of families who weren't, who weren't lucky. um, If that's what you call it luck, but you know, we were, yeah, it was really devastating. It was a really devastating time to be in there and you felt guilt for your babies being okay. While others, um, even though you were going through a really traumatic, tough time in your life, and this is why perspective and is such a big thing for me because um 
it does it helps it does help you through a lot of things because even though you know we were we were like devastated that that was our current predicament predicament we were reminded that it could be a lot worse um and we were speaking to parents and you know talking to them about our journey and reassuring them that you know the staff and stuff are, are really good and you know they'll do they do some amazing things and then those parents ended up losing their babies and we're like you know oh god we've just told them mm. you know it's going to be okay and it's not and um that was a really tough realization that we were watching people kind of walk away without their babies um so you do you are grateful and we're so grateful now um that they are they're wonderful you know that we look at them and we would never know you're like we're the lucky ones because like you say we went through such a shit time like Mm. you went through a lot more than I did you had an extra like four weeks prematurity on top of me but I'm still like oh my god it was freaking awful yeah and everyone's experience is you know this is what when we say like our problems are still our problems you know no matter how much worse they are than someone else are still our problems and their valid problems and valid experiences and painful I mean um it doesn't make it any less but perspective is where you know you remind yourself of those things too but still allow yourself to be like this is shit you know and I this is a shitty thing to go through as a new mum or a or a you know an old experienced mum or any type of mum mum. (laughs) yeah veteran mum um it's just a shitty thing to go through and it's valid and I think if we don't allow ourselves to process that and admit that that's that will just bottle up and then become you know it will reoccur in PTSD and which I had after for a long time um because I had I spoke about this last time we chatted but I didn't speak about it today but with I had postpartum OCD as I told you last time with um Finn and that itself is like intrusive thoughts over like you're protecting your babies and you know it's a, like it's a pretty like full-on thing to go through um the layer that and so trauma and birth trauma yeah and then add that in with that and I was checking on their breathing every five you know five minutes I was yeah so and then you know I was triggered by like noises that sounded like alarms we had the alarms on because they came home with the little uh, monitors for a while the little heart right and man if one of those went off I would just you know I would flip out and it was usually just because it had come off the sensor had come off like their foot um it was always because of that but yeah it does present itself in so many ways as PTSD and um PTSD you know we always think of it as like a war a war diagnosis but it's for anyone who goes through traumatic events and NICU PTSD is a is a really serious thing and I think parents um don't have enough support in NICU and beyond NICU um to to understand and realize that you know that's that's normal and it's tough and that you know they may go through these things and yeah yeah it's important for them to understand that they're not um you know that, that it's everyone else is also experienced it too they're not alone in those feelings which a lot you know is the same with postpartum mental health and why I'm so big on advocating for that is because 
women just feel so we're just not told enough and you know there's there's so much stigma and you're almost told to like expect to feel overwhelmed and like it's normal Mm. and it's like just motherhood but it's not like we don't have to be feeling like that all the time no no exactly right and also that we can yeah we should be allowed to like process and and have the you know process those feelings and emotions so that you can enjoy it because there is so much to enjoy but when there's so much pressure and and people telling you that it has to be all one way and that it's you know um not not a, not talking about that that it will be tough and yeah it's just it's a it's a um yeah it's something that still needs to be talked about more and but in terms of NICU yeah PTSD was something that really really showed up for a while there I don't think I have it now I can't say I have it much like anymore it's just flashbacks you know when you're reminded of it yeah yeah mine's still the um the hand sanitizer oh yeah it takes me right back and I hate it like I get like clammy and my heart starts racing and I'm like oh my god it's just being back in there yeah. friggin sanitize your hands a billion times a day yeah oh yeah and it's that spe- specific smell of it as well because my hands are still really dry um and I always just think, you know, I've always been an avid hand washer, but I think from NICU as well, just the amount of times you would fr- freak out and, yeah. you know, wash them after every everything you touched. Yeah. yeah. And then sanitize as well, because obviously you've got to do both. I know. It was stressful. <laughs> just NICU things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me again. And what a honestly technology is not my friend absolutely fine it's always good to chat and how how's it all going anyway has it been good yeah really good um I've I've like slowed down a little bit obviously coming into Christmas but I've got like a whole bunch of submissions ready for next year. oh cool that's good so yeah just lots of like positive positive feedback of listeners and of people that have shared their stories and have been like oh it was so good to like get it out because obviously a lot of us don't we just yeah we hold on to it especially those who have had like really traumatic experiences yeah um but no yeah it's it's going really well and I'm glad that people are finding comfort in it yeah it's such an awesome awesome thing you're doing and also I think people hearing positive stories is uh, I say positive outcomes I'll say positive outcomes from not so great stories as what I looked for when I was in the coup is like people that had had you we hold on to whatever hope we can find basically yeah. and so hearing you know people talk about their experience and and the outcome um or how they process you know and not so great like just hearing ways in which people have gone through well, something that they may go through hearing stories that like validate how they're feeling yeah well you know like you val- you feel validated and feeling like I've had a few people that have had like late preterms or full-term babies who have been like I don't belong here but there's been so many of those stories so I'm like you're- yeah like everyone else is feeling that way as well it's totally fine to feel like you're an imposter in the NICU oh yes yeah, yeah. I've had I've had messages from mums like that too and I'm like it's, again it's, it goes back to that that is still your experience and that is a hor you know, it's a horrible experience for you as any new mum who doesn't get to like 
hold their baby and you know have that initial uh, meeting mm-hmm. that's ripped away from them like that that's traumatic and same with a traumatic birth but you get to meet your baby like that birth is still traumatic yeah. and I think we can't you know we can't remove that from someone just because it's yeah different to our own and I think yeah that's where people feel like they're they're imposters or you know because they see so much worse but their their situation is still valid and I I wouldn't judge a mum for I mean who would ever judge a mum for being in you know like ending up in NICU at 36 weeks and saying it was hard because that would definitely be hard for them um like my heart and your heart are different but that doesn't mean that one was harder than the other yeah yeah and I just think it's the way we word things sometimes as well you know and it's um yeah some people don't word things well and (laughs) that can sometimes maybe trigger other people but um yeah everyone's experiences are definitely especially in NICU definitely definitely you know tough really tough I would not wish it on any 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 parent at all um but I'm thankful that it is there for our babies 100 percent, yeah because where would we be without them literally that's exactly right that's exactly right so yeah that was Sarah's story she obviously had three very different birthing experiences and postpartum experiences and as I said in the beginning she was really good at um advocating I was, gonna, I was trying to say ambitious I don't know why advocating for herself um obviously which is a bit disappointing because you shouldn't have to advocate for yourself on the health of your babies but she did and lucky she did because she helped she helped herself and she helped her babies and yeah they're all doing well now um you can follow Sarah on Instagram at for the love of boys and there's an underscore at the end four is the num- like written the number four um she's amazing she has lots of beautiful beautiful content and um yeah as I said she's very big on you know mental health and self-love and she also loves Disney (laughs) and Christmas so if you also love Disney and Christmas she's your gal Um, but yeah I hope you guys enjoyed listening I hope you're having a wonderful wonderful start to your 2024 and we will chat again soon we've got um one more episode after this next Saturday and then in February we'll go back to twice a week so Wednesdays and Saturdays is four episodes so we will chat again then see ya